Welcome. With Michael Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a serious XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. David Grant is in studio with me. Hey, David, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I receive two to three books a day, at least. And my producer, uh, TC, could back me up on this. But every publicist and their brother sends me a book hoping that we'll take an interest in it, that I'll take an interest in it and read it and put somebody on the program. Not that the show is so special. I'm I'm sure every talk show host in America gets a boatload of books. In my case, they all end up in the lunchroom at the end of the hall, except for those that I'm willing to take the time to read. I've never bought into Larry King saying, well, I don't read any of the books because I want to be on equal footing with the audience. That's just that's BS. Uh, I read what interests me. When the Lost City of Z arrived, and I'd never heard of the Lost City of Z, but when your manuscript arrived, I took a look and I said, this one I'm taking home, which I guess is a testament to the the jacket and the title. And I found it so intriguing, a tale of deadly obsession in the Amazon. I didn't know that Brad Pitt had optioned your book for a movie. And, and, And when I learned that after cracking the cover of it, then I was even more intrigued about what it's all about. I love this book. Yeah, thank I'm you so totally much. Totally into it. Uh, that's uh, so nice to hear. David Grant is like uh, you're like a schlubby guy. Very schlubby. That's you're, that, you know that's I mean? the that is the right word. <laughs> I have a face for radio, as they well, say. No, I, 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 have to, I have to offer that because because like you're not a guy who goes to EMS and gets all the camping equipment. No, no, no. I am the least likely explorer in the history of man. I I don't camp. I don't hike, and I'm phobic of snakes. And uh, I have uh, uh, keratoconus, which is a degenerative eye condition that, that basically makes me blind at night, uh, and I tend to get lost even on my subway on my way to work in Manhattan. So I am... Uh, and, yes. and, and always taking the elevator, as o- you point out at home. Always taking the elevator. Yeah. You, you, are, you, are, <laughs> you are no uh, new millennium version no. of, uh, of Colonel Percy Fawcett. No, 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 no. Uh, I would have, had, had Percy gone with me, he would have quickly ditched... Had I gone with him, he would have quickly ditched me. <laughs> I had also never heard of Percy Fawcett before mm. reading the book. So th- it's actually two books in one that you've written. What you've done here is that you you and you correct me when I'm wrong, but you, you stumble upon the, the name of Colonel Percy Fawcett, who was this English explorer uh, in the 1920s is what he really claimed to fame. A guy who disappears while he's in search of the lost city of Z. And you do two things. You, you not only go back and, and recreate what's known about Percy Fawcett. But you then undertake your own exploration. And by the end of the book, you know, you're hot on his heels. That's right. And you alternate between those two angles, those two uh, ways of approaching the same subject. And I was equally intrigued with both of them. Yeah, I mean, normally um, I always consider myself a pretty disinterested uh, reporter, somebody who um, uh, tries to kind of remain impartial to his subject. And normally I'm following other crazy people around while they do their crazy things. Uh, and this was a case where I came upon uh, – I stumbled upon a reference to Fawcett um, having helped inspire the lost world. I'd never heard of Fawcett like you. And I began to dig into this story, and I soon learned that he was kind of the last of the great territorial explorers who kind of 
ventured into these blank spots on the map, and that even before he disappeared in 1925, it kind of captivated the world with these expeditions. And then I learned that all these people, once he disappeared, will go in search of him. Um, That's amazing, by the way. Yeah. So many people. He becomes a phenomena long before the Internet age. Everybody's in the loop about Percy Fawcett. Yeah. And now they all want to go figure out, well, what happened to him? And many of them don't come back. Yeah. Countless of them died of starvation and disease. Uh, many of them were killed by tribesmen. And then there were a, a boatload who simply disappeared like Fawcett. As, as, as late, I guess I should say, as the early 20th century, let me be more specific, 1920s, you could open up maps and there would be uncharted territory. And the Royal Geographic Society in the U.K., and I've got this image of their headquarters <laughs> off of Hyde Park because you did such a great job of, of, uh, of describing it. But it's, it's like their mission in life is to send people out on the road, so to speak, to figure out, you know, what's out there. That's right. And one of them who, who rises to the challenge is Colonel Percy Fawcett. We think of him as a Victorian-era explorer, but the Victorian era is over. But w- what's his deal? Tell me who he is. Uh, he was a uh, he was born during the uh, great Victorian age of exploration. He kind of grew up worshiping these guys like Livington and Speak. He always wanted to become an explorer, so he goes to the Royal Geographical Society, which had helped launch these other great explorers. And the thing about the Royal Geographical Society at the time, it was engaged in this great project of mapping the world, basically filling in all these blank spaces on the map where people used to think uh, that were filled with dragons and and all these kind of fantastical things because these areas were unknown. And Fawcett uh, was eventually um, sent to map the interior of the Amazon in 1906. And at at that time, and just to give uh, the listeners some sense of the size of the Amazon, it's virtually the size of the continental United States, this wilderness. And it was so unexplored at the time that Brazil, uh, Bolivia, and Peru, they did not even know where their borders were in the interior. And so they needed somebody to come in and figure it out. And so Percy Fawcett came in and he began to map thousands and thousands of square miles. And it was during this period that he began began to gather clues and evidence that led him to believe that this wilderness contained a great ancient civilization, a place he had called simply and rather cryptically the City of Z. By the way, you're listening to David Grant on the Michael Smirconish program. The book is titled The Lost City of Z. It's a hot new release. I give it a major thumbs up for what that's worth. Brad Pitt has it option, so who knows, maybe coming to a theater near you at some point in the future. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. By the way, you're listening to David Grant. The book is titled The Lost City of Z. Percy Fawcett was like a smart guy, and yet he gets caught up in this. That That's one of the sort of disconnects. Because, you know, you hear the lost city of Z that somehow in the middle of a landmass the size of the United States, I think you said that, that you know, the, the, the lore had it that it was like 10 miles long. And that the lost city of Z was this this paradise, this utopian community that if you went there, you didn't want to come home, right? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and and he got caught up in that. He did. I mean, the thing about Fawcett was he ha- he was uh, he was an amateur explorer. This was still the era of amateurs. Or really, it was just the very beginning of professional archaeology. Um, but early on. Um, he was trained uh, with the method of a scientist, and he really pieced together his theory very meticulously about why this city might exist. But he then went to serve in World War I, and he was at the Battle of the Somme. And if anyone remembers of the Battle of the Somme, uh, tens of thousands of people died. And he was there when they basically said, up, lads, up the ladder. And all these boys, uh, 17-year-old boys, marched into machine gun fire. And he really w- witnessed this great collapse of the British and European civilization in that moment. And at that point, 
the city of Z began to take on in his mind larger proportions, more fantastical notions. So it began very much as a grounded scientific notion. And as you were saying, it began to take on some other kind of um, almost paradisical uh, uh, notion in his in his mind. A related uh, thought idea, El Dorado, but not the same. And, you know, the kids have all seen the movies by now. But but, you know, similarly, there was the lore of El Dorado out there. And he was caught up in that, too. He was. That's, that's right. I mean, El Dorado, uh, when the first conquistadors arrived in uh, South America, they were told by the Indians that there was this glittering kingdom that had so much gold that the inhabitants literally ground it into powder and then they would painted on their bodies until they'd be shining from the head to the foot. Uh, and this kingdom was supposed to be in the middle of the Amazon, and so the conquistadors uh, began to march into the Amazon. Of course, they all, uh, or nearly all of them died. The first major El Dorado expedition had some 4,000 men, and some 4,000 men died of disease and starvation. Um, after a while, most people concluded that El Dorado was no more than a delusion. Fawcett, however, uh, began to gather evidence and really believed in this very region where he had been told that El Dorado was, that there was an ancient civilization. He thought the gold was probably exaggerated, uh, but he did believe there was a complex society. And he even studied um, the, the early chronicles of the first El Dorado hunters who went into the Amazon. And even though they never found a golden kingdom, they had all described large towns, big settlements, big causeways, big bridges. And these things led him to believe uh, that the Amazon really could sustain a large population with a complex society and had remnants of this great lost world. 1925, Colonel Percy Fawcett goes into the Amazon in search of the lost city of Z. He's got his 21-year-old son and his son's buddy. It's, it's a group <laughs> of three, and they never come out. They're, they're, never, you know, they're never heard from again. Uh, and they are, by the way, in the most perilous of conditions. You do a great job of talking about what constituted the Amazon circa 1925. What a scary place. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really when you, one of the things uh, uh, that happened is um, Fawcett on this expedition actually would write dispatches uh, as he went into the jungle. And these dispatches were carried out by Indian runners. And then eventually they would take them weeks to eventually months to arrive at the nearest outpost. Then they'd be carried to a city. And then eventually they'd be typed up on telegraph machines and blast faxed around the world. And so the whole world watched this expedition as it was happening. But you get to read these primary documents as this expedition is going on and you get a sense of the terrors. And I also, um, during Fawcett's earlier expeditions uh, into the Amazon, I was able to track down the diaries of his companions. And, and these are some of the most compelling and horrifying things you will ever read. I mean, they literally describe uh, maggots taking over their bodies, uh, men dying of starvation. They had no immunities against diseases, so they would die. half his parties would be wiped out from malaria and yellow fever. And they also had a strict rule in the party that if you were too sick or you were wounded— you had no choice but to be abandoned. So Fawcett doesn't, uh, Fawcett doesn't make it out, and consequently a whole host of people go looking for him, some because they're curious having followed the exploration, others because they figure, hey, he made it. He found El Dorado or he found the lost city of Z, and the place is so cool, he's not coming home. I want that. Yeah, it Right? Yeah, no, that's right. It captivated the imagination. And Fawcett was really seen as indestructible. He had lived for so many times and survived so many expeditions that it was almost incomprehensible to uh, the outside world that this legendary explorer could have actually uh, uh, succumbed to uh, any of the elements. All right. That's sort of book one. L let me shift mm -hmm. gears and talk about book two, All Within the Lost City of Z. And this is the David Grand story. <laughs> so you get caught up in this and you want to know more about it. And you catch an enormous break 
because one of the things that you do is you go and you track down the the living descendants of Colonel Percy Fawcett, and lo and behold, you find his granddaughter. What's her name? Rolette. Uh, Rolette. Rolette. And what happens? Well, the amazing thing was, um, I go to I track down the granddaughter Rolette, who was a lovely woman. She lived in Cardiff, and she invited me into her house. Now. Um, Fawcett had always been very secretive. He had actually, before he became an explorer, been a spy. And he was always very worried about his rivals uh, beating him to his discovery. In fact, he had even used codes when he would send letters uh, to his wife about where he was actually going. So he was very secretive about his route and, um, and, 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 and his papers. And so eventually I, I found Roulette and she invited me into her house and chatted for a long time. And she eventually she said, well, do you really want to know what happened to my grandfather? And I said, well... Sure, if it's possible. And she led me into a back room. And in that back room, there was an old chest. And she opened this chest. And inside were these old books. They were disintegrating. Their bindings were breaking apart. They were covered with dust. And I said to her, well, well what are they? And she said, they're my grandfather's uh, secret diaries and logbooks. And she let me go through them, poring over them for clues. And they really contained unprecedented clues uh, not just to the mystery of his death, but to the mystery of his life. And they also included coordinates to where he had actually gone into the wilderness, which had always been a great mystery, his actual route to the city of Z. And it was at that moment when I discovered these coordinates and I was armed with this information that I kind of decided to do something foolish and said, well, if everybody... I'm going. Oh, I'm going. All these other expeditions had headed in the wrong direction. What if I actually headed in the right direction? And so I, I did something dumb. Did you have <laughs> Did you have any? I was envious reading about what you then what you then did. I thought this is a cool trip. The schlubby guy needs my help. <laughs> hey, uh, not, not that I know how to paddle a canoe or set up a tent. Um, did you have any reason to suspect that Roulette was sitting on this like treasure trove of information? No, I thought you might have information. I knew that the family had guarded papers. There was this rumor, it was almost like El Dorado, yeah. that there were these missing papers and that uh, no one had seen them. Maybe they were lost, maybe some member of the family. So I had been searching for them, but no, I had no sense that this – What for me, in a, what, that was part of my Z, was this treasure trove of information. So, I, I, I mean, I can imagine what it was like that night, you know, you're, you're calling home from uh, – uh, from the UK to your wife and saying, you are not going to believe this. You are not going to believe what I've now got. Yeah. And, uh, of course, then I said uh, to her, well, um, sweetie, uh, <laughs> and my wife is a, is a much more sensible person than I. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, maybe not just writing about the story, but, uh, but going myself uh, and following. She said, you're going to follow him? Uh, Fawcett? And she said, well, how, uh, somebody who disappeared 100 years ago? And I said, well, it wasn't quite 100. It was only 80. <laughs> And, uh, and she said, um, well, what ha did other people go? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. yeah lots of, I, said, didn't come back. I said, lots of people did this. And then she said, well, what happened to them? And then I paused and said, well, um, many of them disappeared. <laughs> and, and by the way, to the extent someone would think, well, it's 2000 and I forget when you did this, five or six, yes. you know, it's a lot safer now. As recently as 1996, some Brazilian financier, right, That's gets right. gets captured when he, too, is out there looking for Percy Fawcett. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things that interested me is that this mystery had compelled people to go. I mean, literally, after Fawcett disappeared, just to give you some sense, uh, the first expedition that went, uh, the search party was uh, 1928, and tens of thousands of people volunteered to go on this expedition. 
And the thing that amazed me was that these expeditions weren't just going in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. In fact, so many were going that the Brazilian government eventually tried to ban them, but they were still going into the wilderness and basically committing suicide. But they continued to go into the present. And in 1996, as you were saying, this major expedition went uh, with a dozen men, and a father took his son, which seems to be a recurring theme in the book of fathers and sons, um, and they were uh, kidnapped by a tribe uh, in the area and held in captivity. This is David Grand. The book is called The Lost City of Z. I'm I'm not giving it all away, but as I am reading, as I'm progressing, uh, I'm saying, how's he going to end this book? What can he possibly bring to the table at the end when you now go down to uh, South America, to the Amazon, and, and try and figure out what happened to Percy Fawcett? And I will say this. I think you're pretty compelling in terms you're relying on oral histories, and you have a story to tell. Yeah. You know, you, there's some finality to this whole process for you. Yeah, I mean, one of the amazing things for me was um, when I traced the the path was to encounter these tribes where uh, Fawcett himself had stayed. And even though many of the tribes um, don't keep written records, they keep uh, these oral histories that are passed down for generations. And when Fawcett and his men came in, they were among the first white men they had ever seen. And you could just imagine these three pale bearded figures appearing out of the jungle. And so for them, this was a historic moment, and it was preserved uh, in their oral tradition. And to my astonishment, they had a, an, an oral history about Fawcett and his party that are almost like epic poems. They're really, they're almost Homeric in their style. And these oral histories have, uh, have as you were saying, real clues to what happened to Fawcett and um and then the other thing uh, that I um, uh, got a sense of um, on this trip was that uh, Z really was uh, much more than a fable. Uh, what occurred to me as well, having concluded the book, is that you, David Grant, are now going to cause a whole host of new generations of people mm-hmm. to go do exactly what everybody else has done and go look for Percy Fawcett. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm in a book club with a couple of guys. It's, it's a thinly disguised poker club. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, you know, we could read your book. We could tell our wives we're all going looking for the lost city of Z. Well, you know, the, 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 the Royal Geographical Society had a name for people like me and uh, people who went to um, uh, plunge into the wilderness. And we were – they called us um, sometimes um, – uh, not so politely, uh, a faucet freak. So I, I may have spawned a new generation of us. <laughs> um, so if Brad Pitt plays you, who plays Fawcett? Well, let's 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 be perfectly frank. You're looking right at me now, and Brad Pitt, who I'm delighted uh, is doing this, and is a brilliant actor, and I could not be happier. But I think even playing a, a nebbishy uh, schlub like me might be a reach for him. So uh, Fawcett is. Uh, 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 um, Brad Pitt is slated to play Fawcett, and actually in the book, there's a picture of Fawcett's son. And if you look at uh, his son, who's very dashing, uh, and Fawcett looked a lot like that when he was younger, uh, he and Pitt actually look a lot alike. I hope it happens. I I, I can see this, definitely can see this on on the big screen. It's a great read. I love this book. It's called The Lost City of Z. You don't need my encouragement. It's it's, it's doing well and getting lots of attention. But uh, like I said, when I first saw it come through the office, I said, no, no, this this one has the makings of a keeper, and, and it is. David Grant, thank you so much for being here, and I appreciate it. I wish you all good things. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.